I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. And welcome back to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast by Broad Digital Consulting, wherein we solve all the business problems of the world today in a quest to make sure that everyone lives happily ever after. And if that's funny, well, then it's probably a little sad, too, just that it's funny. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, this bitch that tells it like it is on LinkedIn, apparently, Danielle. I'm this bitch coming from the camping chair, Kaylee. <laughs> I'm not a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a child. I will never be a mother. Alan. This is uh, week, week to week. The introductions are truly my favorite part because I never know exactly how the two of you are going to introduce <laughs> yourselves until we are recording. And it is just week to week, uh, a treasure to see how you outdo yourselves. So uh, thanks. Thanks for that. That was good. Um, this week, compilation of all the introductions. <laughs> at some point, at some point, I wonder if that's like a t-shirt somewhere. Like, do people buy t-shirts anymore? Like I, the I wear shirts. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> I ordered like three different Barbenheimer shirts because I was like so stoked. Incredible. <laughs> See, I read, I feel like I read somewhere, I know I read somewhere that uh, branded t shirts and like event or like party t shirts are one of the biggest contributors to um, uh, the unsustainability or like making fashion less eco friendly. And so I got really panicked and now I just like don't order t-shirts anymore and I'm like nobody's ordering t-shirts because I'm not and I'm the center of the universe so no. there's no way anybody else would be doing that I so, even like okay genius and I bought two t-shirts and a sweatshirt at the show because they were so cool so I'm yeah. still really pissed that you don't like boy genius just like we haven't talked about it again <laughs> but I know that you just went to the show and I'm like I'm irritated to hear you say that but I'm glad that you gave them money yeah yeah i mean they're great they're, they're like they're fine <laughs> the way <laughs> the way it feels like you're avoiding confrontation in this <laughs> well i was there to see muna who is incredible and not like this isn't like musician to musician i think boy genius has great musicianship it, they're just not for me they're just not for me <laughs> I don't know why I'm so invested in making them for you instead of just like letting people like what they like, but you it can't feels yuck someone's offensive. yum. It's okay. I know, I know, but it just feels personally offensive. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna work out with my therapist. Why? <laughs> uh, so, so this week. We are here to discuss, as always, an event that is current. Uh, if you've read the news or opened up LinkedIn or social media in the last year or so, you know that uh, what I'm calling Schrodinger's recession is thick in the air because we keep hearing about it and some people have experienced it, but maybe not everybody. And so, like, is it 
is it the tree that fell in the forest? Did we hear it? Did it make a sound? Uh, but there are many people who have been impacted uh, by at least the pullback from things. They've lost their jobs. They have struggled with finding new work. I know in, in vendors' cases, not just us, most of the people that we talk to have struggled with finding new clients. Like people just, companies just don't really have money right now. Uh, but when we're talking about people who are seeking jobs, posts on social really abound from these folks who have been out of work for months. They've applied to hundreds of jobs. Sometimes I'm reading thousands. I wonder if it's in like, like an over-exaggeration, but also potentially not. They're not getting any answers. Their unemployment insurance is about to run out. They have no health care. They may lose their homes. Uh, it's feeling a lot like the way that the 2008 crash really gutted all of us in the years of unemployment struggle that followed. Um, but I think, you know, one of the questions that we want to talk about today is like, what have we learned since 2008, since that crash? Right now, it's like a slump that isn't quite a crash, but it isn't just a bump in the road. So what can candidates or people who are seeking jobs uh, take away from previous downturns and apply smarter, uh, apply smarter, excuse me, and leverage the current environment in their favor? And also avoid predatory hiring managers, the, that, that predatory capitalism that we are so fond of discussing on this show. It's almost like we're obsessed with it. Oh my God. Capitalism is like, why are you so obsessed with me, guys? <laughs> um, here to speak with us today is Rachel Kraska, an expert talent advisor and consultant in the recruiting space. Rachel has worked with companies like Grinder, one of our faves, Ooh. Shop Runner, the Detroit Lions. Rachel works with companies to help them make key hires, stand up or improve their recruiting processes, train teams on interviewing and recruiting, and help set companies up to hire at scale. Welcome to the pod, Rachel. Thank you. Yay! We're very excited to have you. Uh, it's rough out there these days, Rachel. I know that like you and I were both recruiting during sort of the last vestiges of the 2008 crash. What year did you come to recruiting again? Uh, <laughs> I think that's a good, I think 2011, actually. Okay. Was that, or was 2000, say, 2000? Yeah, 2011. I was going to say, I think, I, I can never remember if I was 2012 or 2013, but I think it was 2013. And like, we were definitely still seeing, even like three, five years later, like the vestiges of that crash. It was still definitely an employer's market. Uh, I know, like, it feels like we've seen a candidate's market since then. And now it feels like we're like sort of swinging back in this opposite direction. So what can you tell us from your expertise about kind of the way the job market has been changing so dramatically in the last 10 years or so? Like, what have you seen? Yeah. One thing I want to just interject with before I yeah. jump into that is that this is on paper, the best job market that it's ever been with the lowest employment, wow. right? And in, in a long time, but I think what we're seeing is that this is the market where the layoffs are hitting our people in, in tech and in, in marketing sure. and you're seeing, and I think some of what we're seeing is that when you look on LinkedIn, it's people, you know, now mm -hmm. um, it used to be people in different industries or, um, so I think it's it's interesting because it's the first. This did have we did see a dip in twenty 
2008. And, um, and because I'm an oldie, I also saw the dip in 2001. Um, but, uh, but I think this, this one is, is very targeted <laughs> toward tech, it feels like. So sure. I, or that's my interpretation is I'm seeing, I think sure. we're, we're feeling it more um, mm-hmm. than others are for, for, you know, for one of the first times. It feels a lot like, you know, I know that that we've both recruited inside of the marketing space. I know that in marketing, it's always felt like, you know, last to hire, first to fire. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we definitely saw that uh, back, you know, right three to five years after 2008. I was typically, when I was recruiting, I was interviewing people who had been out of work for years as like VPs of marketing that couldn't get back in anywhere that were taking retail jobs just to, to try and make ends meet. And I've noticed, like, I keep hearing conflicting accounts of whether marketing teams are really being impacted. I keep hearing that they're not, but then when I open up LinkedIn and maybe it's just, you know, my anecdotal universe, it feels like I'm also seeing people inside of the marketing space that are actually some of these that have applied to hundreds of jobs and are Mm -hmm. not getting anywhere. And that feels odd. So like, we know that it's tech, like engineers, I've seen that it's like HR recruiting. Are there other roles or other departments that you're seeing really cut back? I think a little bit of everything, but um, I think marketing and, and operations of those HR roles are interesting because they aren't roles that necessarily have a direct provable ROI where you can, Mm -hmm. you know, like your, your team, your marketing team, you can't always draw the direct line between they put this campaign out and we made XX dollars. So I think right. I see some of that where the the disciplines that aren't necessarily considered money makers are the first to go. And I say that as a recruiter um, who who also got laid off in um in February um with my whole department. Um so uh so I think there's some of there's some of that, but but I think we also are seeing a bounce or whatever the opposite of bounces from um, kind of the overhiring that happened after after COVID or some of the hiring that happened in industries that were great in COVID. And as people's behavior have changed, uh, are suddenly, you know, not doing as well as they were before you'd mentioned tech and I know that we've seen like engineers have been hit and like, you know, just tech as an industry has been hit. Do you feel like that is more like a response to what happened during COVID? Do you feel like there is, I mean, because arguably the tech bubble has been inflating for Mm a hot minute and I know that there's this question around like is that the problem like is it just is it just bursting now yeah I mean it's it feels and I I do not have data to back this up so I want to make sure we never have data (laughs) (laughs) I can't send data about the employment market um and the unemployment rate but um but uh, yeah, people overhired. Like you can just kind of see the cycle that that continually happens. Like 
it happens to all of us as humans, right? Like you're flush with money and you start spending it. And I think, I think that's, that's what happened. And it's easy to, it's easy to overhire when you're getting funding and um, Mm -hmm. when, and not to think long-term. And I think when, when you don't have any, it's easy to panic and over, over fire. Sure. I just wrote about this in our newsletter this week too shameless plug but um we talk about in marketing efforts all the time people always want to like focus on that bottom of funnel stuff and i think about what you said with regard to like it's the things that are like this equals this many dollars mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um i was writing about this article on on emotional intelli- intelligence basically and how much of b2b sales it relies on emotional connection and how forgetting about that is kind of a big problem um but also we live in this structure that's like how many dollars essentially yeah sure sure yeah I was thinking about just thinking of the tech bubble we also just Silicon Valley itself has had so much money just poured into it because it's been so successful and I think one of the best examples would be Facebook where they had been doing well for so long. And then Zuckerberg was like, metaverse, it's the future. And they lost thousands of dollars off of the metaverse. Like there's even YouTubes out there now of people who spend a week in the metaverse and they maybe see 10 people. Like it's not at all what it was predicted to be. And then they had huge layoffs because they overhired trying to build something that wasn't really the right direction for that company. I would say, honestly, they probably lost millions of dollars, really. Yeah, my brain can't think that many dollars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when you think, too, like, I don't know if it's because, like, Facebook has traditionally made really good bets on things that have, you know, they've been very uh, adept at changing user behavior. And so, you know, they've been easy to bet on. Um, but even even as I say that, though, like, no, they, they fail fast, but they is something about this metaverse thing. It seems like they excuse me, they've stuck with when they fail fast traditionally they just move on from it or yeah, they like prioritize right facebook <laughs> dating that was like that facebook dating that. was oh man well it was you know. in the works for years and then oh yeah it was horrible experience <laughs> yeah no like legitimately facebook dating when i went to fa for the first time it was it was such a big rollout that it warranted a whole section during Zuckerberg's keynote at F8. Like that meant something. And to now, like that was, I went to F8 for the first time back in 2018. Five years later, it just, it doesn't exist, right? Like it it just went away quietly. And I think they've typically been pretty good at failing fast and moving on. And like I said, even if it doesn't disappear, it gets deprioritized. Like you can still poke people, but like. I'm going to figure out how to now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Tyler, Tyler will occasionally look at me and go like, one of your friends just poked me on like, what are, are we back here? Are we doing this again? So like, <laughs> Zuck's got his eye on it for sure. But I do think it's interesting that, yeah, I mean, like betting on that sort of metaverse thing and like how that impacted what money they got mm-hmm. and what money they lost from this. And this is why it feels like I said, I keep calling it like a Schrodinger's recession because we all know that a recession is something that essentially somebody, an analyst calls it out into the universe. And then it doesn't become a recession until enough companies believe that it will be a recession and they all start tightening belts and pulling back in anticipation of it, or they panic at the first sight of a dip and then the actual recession happens. But it feels like I'm seeing this equal parts. Like you said, Rachel, the job market is, is it has more jobs than it's ever had, but also we're seeing Fewer clients come through the doors, uh, more layoffs from more companies and more departments, people who are unable to get jobs after months, uh, people who, you know, I mean, nobody has any money. And so, like, when you talk about how many jobs are out there that exist right now, traditionally, I know that there's always been a surplus of jobs of highly technical jobs that can't be filled. It's why H-1Bs exist, you know, like, because we cannot fill them with American citizens. Is that still the case? Like, are that is that still the excess of jobs that are going unfilled? Or are they filtering out in other departments too? I think it's specialized. I mean, and I'm, I'm biased. I sit in tech and that's where my specialty sure. is. So I see specialized roles is mm. is hard to fill. So any company I'll go to has their own technical stack and mm-hmm. their own specific needs. And so there might be a hundred software engineers available, but out of those hundred, there's probably, you know, four who have done and already do what what the company's looking for. Right. And we can probably have a whole other conversation about should the company be looking for people who already do what they're looking for? Or does it make sense to train people into it? And, right. you know, but but I think that the specialization, this is probably a great segue into into the job market. There, There's a big difference between like what what they're looking for and people who are like, ah, I could do that. Sure. And I feel like that is, you know, having, having done some tech recruiting myself, I feel like that's always been like, like the one Ruby on Rails developer that you can find in (laughs) all of the land, you know, or like I had a client that wanted specifically an Xbox developer Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like there are a lot of people or. (laughs) or in the market. Right. And all of them are, are being recruited, you know, for different things. Do you, I mean, it feels like, especially with things like marketing, it used to be years ago, a good idea to specialize, but then post crash, it was not a good idea to specialize. It was much better to be a generalist and be able to tackle a little bit of everything. I think it depends on, it depends on what you're targeting. 
So if you're targeting a company with one or two marketers in it, then better be a generalist. But if you're going going big, then maybe you need to be an email specialist and that's it. Sure. (laughs) Or or you buy, you buy uh, online media and that's what you do. Sure. Yeah. It's so interesting from uh, like um, a project management or resourcing perspective, because something that you learned very early on in the PMP, the project management kind of certification from the Institute is like, they give people different shapes (laughs) based on whether they're a specialist. And I think the specialist is like a straight line. I hope nobody quotes me on this, but then someone who can also, (laughs) nobody researched. We don't have data. (laughs) Only believe me. (laughs) But then you have people that are T-shaped and they can like, they're a specialist, but they can also branch in two different directions, right? And like, I can't remember which one it is exactly, but you're looking for someone who actually has a little bit of both um, almost all the time. Um, but I, I'm i hearing you, Rachel, in that like across industries, I don't know that that's exactly true because marketing or and even across company size, that wouldn't necessarily be true. Sure. I totally experienced this with my last big agency. I was hired as a specialist. I was the social media specialist. I did all the advertising, anything social media I had to look at. And within two years, they couldn't sell just social media anymore. So I got let go and everyone else who was an email specialist, Google ad specialist, that those are still things that are regularly being purchased. Um, They all got promoted to more of like user digital experience person and so like all the specialties basically got voided well and I think that's interesting too thinking back to uh, my recruiting days I remember how many social media agencies existed that that's all they did was Mm -hmm. social media and we I feel like we even knew back then like it was untenable you know, and, and now thinking about it, I mean, Kaylee, I know you and I have both done work for agencies that were social media specific, social media focused, but then it's a pendulum, right? You have, uh, you have all of these, sorry, I think there's a bee in my house. Absolutely not. <laughs> what a fine X mode to record a podcast. We have to re-record everything's burning now. Hold on. well I can step in and say too like I don't know about anybody else on this call maybe I should wait for Danielle I'll wait for Danielle that's rude (laughs) she has her mic on I hope this is included in the uh... (laughs) I'm going to reposition You left your mic on for that? Sorry, I did. <laughs> My bad. It was a fly, but I don't know if that was what it, I don't know. I don't know if that's the only thing that was Big there. But, to be a problem. Okay. But like, so going back, you had all of these, these, like this whole crop of businesses that came up to specialize and then the work all died out as the tides shifted And all of them, or most of them, then switched to more general agency sorts of things. 
But then at the end of that too, the ones that held on, like now they're like special diamonds, right? Like, which I know is, is similar in tech. Like when everybody pursues a new language and learns that language, those who stick with Ruby on Rails <laughs> will eventually be able to write their ticket and uh or what's the other aloha was the other the other technology that I was don't impossible. think that I don't think that's held on <laughs> aloha I don't think so oh god I, I still no, know I, I have no idea I think that there's like I think the restaurant industry still uses aloha pretty frequently but I yeah so I like no I, I mean that, like that is write unfamiliar to me Aloha. But I can tell you Ruby people are, there are less Ruby shops than there used to be um, right now. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, isn't that, isn't that technology is, is, you know, getting a good baseline in what you do and then staying abreast of what is, what is new. I think that's, mm-hmm. those are, those are the companies that survive and the people who who remain relevant are the ones who yeah. kind of grow and, and learn, but also come from a solid foundation. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's, I think it is interesting to think about the, the, the switch between specialists and generalists, knowing that eventually if you are a specialist and you can hang on, you will eventually be a small minority that could become in demand by the people who need you. Right. Like, because there, there, even if it's dwindling, there will be places that do still need you. And then, you know, then you've got, like I said, your, your golden ticket. Um, but it's interesting to think about as people move through a job market, just staying flexible to like what you were saying with the, the shape, Alan, mm-hmm. that you can kind of be a generalist and a specialist all at the same time. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the, 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 these viral LinkedIn posts that we see everywhere. Uh, someone tells their story about, it's typically uh, the same story, very sadly, that they've applied to hundreds of jobs. They've heard nothing. They uh, need medication really desperately. They have no health care. They're on their last, you know, month that they can pay rent. They're going to be evicted. They've got kids. Like, these are some really fucking sad and human stories. And, you know, a handful of them go viral, which I'm sure was a goal, but like a last resort goal. Uh, it, it feels really unsustainable. Honestly, it's giving like... GoFundMe for healthcare, but for jobs instead. Uh, what do you think, like, when these people are making these posts, it kind of seems like it tells other job seekers that what they need to do is, like, go viral. And, like, what do you think these folks, these candidates are kind of are getting wrong about this approach? And how can people still find what they need in this market without having to rely on a viral moment? Yeah, I mean, when I see someone who's, well, one, our society is getting things wrong. Everyone should have food and health care. We'll stop yes. with that. Um, yes. we'll stop. <laughs> but, um, I don't see, I, okay, coming at this from a recruitment perspective, yesterday I had the pleasure of going through 480 resumes for one role. Um, I did them all in one day. It was terrible. Um, but... But 
out of the 480 resumes, I moved about 10, 10 forward, 10 matched what they were asking for and I don't even mean a hundred percent but there's always a couple core things in a job description that are like must-haves um and on the hiring manager side and the company side we want them to get more specific with that and and decrease the the amount of things they must have but um I and I think I already hinted at this but people in general kind of apply to an I could do this job. And I think companies look for, can you do this job? Potentially, have you done this job? Or is is this a growth path that makes sense? Will you be happy here? Or is this just like you need something? And are are you going to leave the company in, in four months after the companies, you know, put in their time to train you? And uh, I hate the word train, but to teach you the, the job and, uh, and have you have you taken up time doing that and then you're going to bounce as soon as you find something so i think on the company side they're looking for more is this a fit then can mm-hmm. you do it yeah. and i think yeah. there's a big difference there and i think if you look at someone who's applied to 300 roles that that i bet you know 250 of them minimum were i could do that but aren't mm-hmm. necessarily this is this is a real match with say seventy percent of of my career or or where I'm going and what I've done. Sure, I read somewhere years ago operating you know on on the binary of course when I say this that women have to women by and large have to in order for them to apply to a job have to feel like they hit 90 to 95% of the requirements Mm -hmm. before they'll put their resume out there. Whereas men, it's closer to like 35 to 40% of the requirements. They go like, yeah, I fit those. And then they put them out there. And that really impacted me when I was out there in the job market, reading through that going like, am I underselling myself Mm -hmm. or am I thinking like, oh, I need more of these qualifications, so therefore I won't apply to that one when really I should because it feels in my head like a long shot, but I've been socialized to feel like it's a long shot. Like somehow my talent has to be twice as good uh, as anybody else that applies. But, But hearing you say this, it's like, is that even the approach? Like I was always going like, okay, apply to the long shot job just because you think it's a long shot, that's not necessarily the case. But do people need to get more of those characteristics before they apply? It almost feels like, yeah, as we're talking through this, that maybe it's less, am I, am I, I mean, I would say, look at the job and look at and analyze it. What is the essence of this? A company should have done this, but, but we know that doesn't happen like that. 95% of the time. But what is what is really important in this job? And it's probably not the line that says great oral and written communication skills. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> Organized problem solver. Yes, like, yeah. Like, uh-huh. It's that's probably not what you want to look at. And I think if you look at the other, you know, if you if you try to boil down even what what is really important to this 
And it's not even necessarily have I done all of these, but does this make sense for my career yeah. story? Have I done most of it? Um, if it's asking for a specific software, well, it's asking for a CRM. Have you worked on this? Maybe Have you worked on something similar? That counts. Um, but so it's it's maybe less, is it like, am I checking off a list and more, is this story the same as mine? Or is this story one I can kind of walk into? Sure. Is that getting too esoteric? No, no, no I, I think <laughs> it makes sense. I, I'm still impressed that you went through all 480 of those resumes because I know as a hiring manager, like I'm somebody that wants to read everybody's resume. And I always, every time I've had a hiring manager role, I like get through the first 30 and I go, you know what? I think that's good uh, because like, there's just, it might sound callous to folks who are, are job seeking, but like there's humans on both sides of this table and I don't have time to read 480 resumes. So God bless you for going through and giving each of them attention. Like that doesn't <laughs> Probably happen. Probably not as much as they wanted, but if I come up with 40 of them, I probably wouldn't have gone through the rest until I'd handled, you know, 40 that I thought was a match, were, were a match. I would have dealt with that 40 first. Um, sure. But when you have the volume of 400, you just say, okay, I want to get the hiring manager almost exactly what they're looking for. And if it's not, then I want a good, I want to have a compelling story for why they should talk to this person. Sure. I, I think that is an axe that lots of folks have to grind is that, you know, I applied to this and I never heard back. It went into a black hole. So I do go through everything. But I think what you should do on on our end or on the company's end is like if you can't like turn off, turn off the faucet. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I I posted I made the mistake and I don't usually like to post things that go on to Indeed. Um, but this was like a customer service type role and I posted it on Indeed and that's why I got that volume. So bad on me for mistargeting. But um but yeah you can turn you know you can turn a job posting off if you have too many too many applications. So I do that. But also sure. I just don't want to miss like there there might be a diamond in there. So I want like if I have such a high volume of things then I start to go really like really narrow in what I'm looking for. And um, like, I want every resume to be like, Ooh, this is exciting. This feels good. There's something that feels sure. good about this. Do you feel like, you know, I know that, that we've heard you say that people are applying for ultimately like too many jobs and, and you've talked about like, does this fit into my job story? I mean, how do you feel like people could be more strategic about their job search so that they're not like, I mean, because let's, let's be real. Job seeking is a job in and of itself. It's why it's so hard to do while you already have one, right? Because it's just, it can be draining. And I think one of the reasons that, at least from my perspective, one of the reasons that it's always felt draining is like, you're not really looking for a job actively unless you are in need. Like, right. Other like recruiters do the passive searches, right? Like if I'm if I'm happy where I am, I might be open to a conversation 
but I'm not seeking something out necessarily. Mm -hmm. So you are kind of in need. Either I need to pay my rent or I need to get the fuck out of this place that Mm -hmm. I hate, that is toxic, that is weighing me down. And in both of those situations, it's really hard to divorce the mental stress and overwhelm that you are feeling in your current situation from this job search. Yeah. I think it's a matter of, there's a couple things. There's taking care. There's taking care of yourself and your needs in terms of just your basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if you don't have the job, take something temporarily. If you, you know, if you can, doesn't have to be in your field, but, you know, go to the temp agency Pick something up, you know, make money and take care of yourself, um, given given the opportunity to do that. And I know that can be tough for people, but um, but I would say put your, you know, put your there's nothing shameful about about doing what you need to do to survive. Um, and you're talking to someone who's done like waitressing and coat checking and like through my very storied career. But even when I was working at places that maybe had big names and I wasn't getting paid enough um, that might have looked good on paper. Um, I think do if if you can do do what you need to do to make money. Um, it's there's a gig economy and there are things you can do and see, you know, if it's possible to take the edge off, do that for yourself. Um, sure. Then I think it's a matter of where you're expending your energy and maybe it doesn't make sense to put 30 resumes into a black hole. Um, but can you reach out to, you know, people, you know, or can you build a human connection with someone who works at a company or who does what you want to do or what you do and start to build on your relationships? Um, because that is going to ultimately have a, a higher percentage of getting you what you need in terms of your job, then kind of the like the post and pray, as we say on our head, <laughs> apply and pray. Um, but um, if you see something that's a great fit, reach out, reach out to the hiring manager in a nice and thoughtful and targeted way. It's like, hey, I applied for this. This looks really great. It might do nothing. You know, maybe maybe you'll hear nothing 20 times, but maybe you will look really great to the hiring manager and and they'll respond or maybe they won't have something or maybe the role will be filled, but you have started a connection and you've begun to build the network that you need to find, to find a job. Because I think sitting in isolation and just kind of like throwing stones Mm -hmm. is a tough way to find something. It's not, it, it has a lower percentage of, of success. And maybe you can do that a couple of times, but, but if you've got three hours to focus on job hunting in a day, all three probably shouldn't be devoted to that. Yeah. I find that like anecdotally that aligns with my own career as, and I as self-identify as someone who like, I don't love interviewing. I don't love resumes. I don't like anything that is like bland and prescriptive. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it shows when I've job hunted in the past and the best jobs I've gotten have been through my connections with other people where we were just chatting over drinks. And I'm like, man, 
I hate where I'm at. And they're, my friend will be like, what exactly do you do? I don't know your job. <laughs> and then I tell them, and they're like, oh, I know somebody who knows somebody, or I know someone who's a recruiter or Danielle goes, do you know what I do? And I say, no, <laughs> I also don't know what you do. <laughs> you know, um, you, you do know my job, you do know right? Like... right? And I was like, absolutely not. I don't <laughs> never known. Um, I know it's on a computer, but I mean, I, I, it's I, marketing. Question, though, do you know now? Do I? Still no. no. Still... <laughs> All I know is I know when something's due for you. <laughs> I know when you need to complete a task. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> no, but I mean, I I think that's even more important is building connections, especially if you like don't interview well. Or, I mean, we talk a lot about you know identities that aren't mainstream and how difficult it is. I mean, I took my they, them off of my resume um, because I was like, this isn't going to work. I, I'm not going to deal with that. And I read a study that was like, it was abysmal when you had your pronouns on your, your resume, no matter what they were, um, your responses to that. And so I, if you I, were I, applying to grinder though, it would not be <laughs> right. so I mean, but the thought, or if you're applying to someone who is they, them, or someone who lists Queer Tech Club on their mm-hmm. LinkedIn page, then you having they, them on your resume suddenly becomes a connection. Right. Like, so Which that's something to, to think about, before. too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, make sure something, it's almost a values discussion again, like, like, the vibe I almost what you were talking about earlier I was like oh the vibe has to be right you check out the job description and you get the vibe and then you're like yeah I'm the vibe <laughs> you know and that's a very similar thing right like if I and, and I've thought that myself if someone doesn't want to hire me because they have to use different pronouns then probably not the right fit for me anyway. that job's gonna really right. suck like, <laughs> right 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 yeah it's like that's going to fall under not a fit. There should be someone right. who, in that role who's a rigid, miserable person um, who will be happy right. there. And, um... yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, though, like, it's not that only people with privilege can have values or even stick to their values. It's just that selective piece of things, you know, like you were talking about, like, don't be afraid to temp- get temp work. I mean, and also I-, I feel like all of us have done a fair share of very weird things uh, mm. for money. That sounded <laughs> weirder than it needed to i was a i i was a bar trivia host for a while uh just you know responding back when craigslist that's where you went to go look for jobs oh i got uh, i got jobs on craigslist not that oh, yeah, i yeah. found shady but in the days when craigslist was like all the was, hourly was jobs. not <laughs> right was not quite the uh the the hillscape you know when or I was, it was selling... but you could avoid <laughs> yeah. it like when I was selling shots in a test tube by night and trying to be a copywriter by day I got, sure got yes the, I got the test tube <laughs> absolutely <job on> Craigslist. <laughs> absolutely yeah I found this like this gig doing like 
There was a, a really, really popular trivia company in uh, Denver. I know it's in other places called Geeks Who Drink. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a trivia host there, but they did like open call and I wasn't selected. And this other like this dude who was running like a small competitive trivia company was, who was doing all his own sales. He was like, I need somebody to take on this shift, you know? So I was there Thursday night, Scruffy Murphy's. And, uh, I like, that's, that's what I did. Right. And like, I, I get the needing to do whatever it takes to make ends meet. But I also recall during that time, and this may be like a bygone feeling, but I, I get the sinking feeling that it's not like there were places that I wanted to apply well before the gig economy. This is prior to Uber and Lyft even being a thing. Um, but I imagine it would be the same now thinking about this. I was going to go do like the fucking like Greenpeace canvassing stuff down on like 16th Ooh. Street Mall. I needed to pay rent, my guy. And uh, and I got told by several people, um, don't do that because if a potential hiring manager interacts with you and then you apply and then they oh, know you as like on. that bitch who did Candace. Oh my God. <laughs> I got told by so many people to not do it crap. or to not go bag groceries or work retail, like just oh, in because case. everyone you've got the, the faces of everyone you interacted with bagging right, groceries, right. like in yeah. your mind. Like you look familiar, oh, was it? Uh, Mariana. Rachel, Rachel, people, people remember me. Yeah, okay? Rachel. So, <laughs> Daniel, you would be the most terrifying canvasser to have to deal with. Oh God! I would be like, like, here's my credit card. I would too. I'd be like, okay. I would have to literally sprint from you. Be like, wait. <laughs> You caught you cross to the other side of the street. Oh my God. Car, like. <laughs> See, this is why people would recognize this mug after that, you know? I think, like, like don't even. That's, that is like the most absurd. Not to be um, I'm gaslighting that. No. I'm gaslighting that advice. I no, I I mean I appreciate it just because like that that was the advice that I was given was like and so honestly, you know, I got denied unemployment. I was weeks away from being evicted from my apartment. And when I say weeks, I mean fewer weeks than in a month. Uh and the job that I got that Rachel and I ended up working at, I literally like I don't recommend this necessarily. I lied to get it. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I've totally done that before. And I was like, I bet I can figure it out. And <laughs> that's what I did. And like I did. I had to go figure it out after that because I also needed to keep the job. <laughs> you were but, really like, good at it too. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> I, I can do that work. Um, right, like, like, yes, that, I can. You told a story that made sense to the hiring manager. Sure. I too do not recommend lying, but I mean, yeah. when we're talking about what works in getting a job. Telling the story that makes sense works better than like not telling it. Yeah, I mean, that's how I got my dog trainer job, which I also don't recommend. If you don't want to get this, um, but I, I mean, by the by, the dog training companies or the dogs, by anyone or the people, 
<laughs> sure, sure, sure. By anybody. <laughs> um, but I mean, I remember Danielle too, though. It's same thing. Like at, we've talked about service industry jobs and I don't know if any of you all have felt it when in service industry and leaving and then coming back, it feels like a trap. Like I'm going to be in this forever. I will never get out of this industry. If I start, no one will hire me afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just distinctly remember that feeling back in the day as being a bartender and server and barista, barista. Barista. Oh, me too. I assumed that barista, if you were saying it that way, that meant that it was actually the correct way to say it. So like you totally had me going. I was like, oh, well, I mean, they've been one. So that that must be how you say it is barista. And I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I would have been adding it to conversation from here on out. (laughs) You mean a barista? Uh, I mean, I see a barista. (laughs) I, I think, though, too, like what you're talking about too, Alan, I, I see that. And I also, I have felt that way with, you know, different sales jobs and things like that. Mm -hmm. It does become a trap. Like nobody is going to hire me. And I feel like a common theme that I saw in recruiting that I even helped, like when, when Tyler was trying to get out of, out of the restaurant industry Mm -hmm. uh, and because he could not work in restaurants anymore, but like, also couldn't get taken seriously as a salesperson, even though he'd been a salesperson Mm -hmm. for a food distribution company, people would look at his resume and just assume either entry level, despite us having lots of fucking work experience, or would assume that like, oh no, he's only going to be good in this one industrial context. And so the importance, Rachel, you touched on it a little bit of of like telling the story, Um, you know, esoteric or not, especially if you're changing industries or Mm -hmm. trying to change careers, you not only have to apply to the things and find the places you have to be able to change your resume and your cover letter into Mm -hmm. a story. And that I feel like is something that doesn't get taught. I mean, none of this shit gets taught, right? Like class. (laughs) <laughs> fucking boarding school no this, ass, was, this like, was Loyola University of Chicago in order to graduate Chicago. I had to take a general business class which included setting up my LinkedIn having to write my resume out and diff- writing different cover letters so that I would have end the follow-up great. email after your interview I hate it so much there's nothing I, I hate it. I still use almost all of it for the last eight years. Well, I think too, like, I mean, I've had to, we're, we're working on our certifications for a few different organizations, like minority and women owned businesses and whatnot. And we have to submit the owner's resume. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I started a business. So I never had to fucking update this thing ever again, you know, like, and now yeah. I got to do this and whatever, you know, it, it is not fun. I have never personally, despite even being a professional that could guide people on how to write their resumes, have never enjoyed it. Writing cover letters is a little bit different for me just because like I enjoy writing. So to your point about finding a job that you really like, that you feel like you'd be a good fit at, the ones that I have gotten immediate interviews for have been when I sat down to write a cover letter that honest to God, like it sounds super cheesy and dumb, but came from the heart. I saw a job 
I thought that I was a good fit. I sat down, I opened with a joke, you know, like you just like massage it a little bit. And then like, you know, talked about my experience and, gotcha. and how I, how I felt like it would, it would work together and immediately would get a response from it. Um, but that takes a lot of energy yeah, and expenditure that again, you can't, you can't do at scale. Right. And that storytelling, I feel like is, is with the exception of Kaylee and everybody at the fucking Loyola class is not something that people really teach storytelling even now, like how, how do you recommend people who have no idea with where to start? I mean, Rachel, I know that we've seen resumes that are like, like they're listing their job functions. I remember reading one from somebody that did temp work at a courthouse that when I read the resume, it was like, you know, temporary courthouse. And it was like, fill water glasses, turn on lights before Whoa. anybody gets there. <laughs> and like listing out these like, like actual like job duties. But so many people still think that's what a resume is, as opposed to a story. How do you, how do you recommend people that have like no fucking idea where to start learn how to tell this story? I would say look at number one, go to LinkedIn and look at the, look at the profiles of people who have the job you want. Um, and, and don't, don't copy them word for word. I've totally seen that <laughs> by the way. Um, and look at the job description and start to reflect some of that language and what you've done. And I don't mean, again, I don't mean word for word, but if, you know, I'll just keep going back to email marketing um, as my example yeah. throughout this. But um, if the job description says, you know, I don't know, growth, growth marketing, email marketing campaigns that are B2B, then maybe in your resume, again, tell a story to that and, and don't list out don't write a paragraph, but rather than saying I did B2B marketing, maybe it's, you know, marketing campaign that grew the engagement from 2% to 15% or where you're, you're looking at what did you do and what were the results of it? Yeah. Making it uh, like results outcome oriented versus responsibilities oriented. Yes. Sure. Sure. Yes, exactly. I mean, sometimes I like, I think, delegation is a great thing. And I'm, do you recommend that people delegate to expert resume people or people who can just sit and listen to you talk and then put it in resume form? Or is it something that needs to be too personalized? I think if you get someone to do it for you, then it's still the resume still does need to be personalized for the role. Unless okay. the role is the same, unless all the roles are the same. I, I think a good a good resume writer can be of help. Or if you have a friend who does that, you know, someone who knows you and knows what you're good at or a former coworker um, could definitely help. You know, I think it probably depends on your resources and, and your time and how mm. how good of a right that's such a again how good of a writer you are but how how your how your oral and written communication skills are um 
<laughs> can you, uh, you know, is writing a strength, then, then maybe you don't necessarily need help. But if that's something you're struggling with, and you have the money and you have a good recommendation for someone, um, mm. you know, of someone who can do that, then, then sure. I wouldn't just like, put it out there and just whatever you find on like, like, there's a whole lot of like, so-called experts hanging out on LinkedIn yeah. who are giving like real bad advice. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's why I'm asking, cause I was like, you know, when you, I can put myself in that position, not having a job for years or whatever, and say, I have a certain amount of resources, money, time, et cetera. Yeah. Do I put that if I'm actually not good at writing resumes? Well, then do I find someone? Do I go on Google? But um, yeah. So that's why I asked that question. Cause I was like, I'm sure people are like, where do I put my resources? What's the best use of what little I have right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the beautiful thing about the interweb is you can find what you need on it. There's, you, like, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, if, if you know I, I still keep, right. I still keep coming back to like, uh, one of our episodes that was uh, specifically about SEO mm-hmm. and what kind of search results come back. And mm-hmm. so often the search results that are going to be at the top are going to be, you know, people who are really good at SEO or companies yeah. who are really good at SEO, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily the best um, for, for this. You know, I, I think that like, like maybe it's also a good idea for people to take a look at, you know, storytelling and how to do storytelling in ways that, uh, you know, maybe are outside of even uh, mm-hmm. job seeking too. Oh yeah, um, just to kind of understand the the basics of it as well. I'm going to be working with someone for that. You know, even though I I'm pretty expert at finding roles, but just in terms of my business, making sure that I'm attracting yeah. the kind of business I want. I've kind of gotten to the point where I, I reached out to, you know, someone I know who's an expert. I was like, I think I, I think I'm ready to hire you, <laughs> you know, help yeah. me. Um, yeah. I think though, to your point about SEO is, is, and this is something that comes back from my journalism school days, but um, look, you know, find good sources for yourself and and look at looked at those sources maybe not a yeah. a blind google but a google of i don't know harvard business review or what what have you sure. um you know what are some reputable there's a lot of good there's a lot of companies that have good um you know that are job seeking like look at linkedin what linkedin i'm sure has some phenomenal i know they have phenomenal sure. resources about how to write your linkedin profile i've sat in you know i've sat in yeah. seminars for that so I think look to look to expert sources for for your advice and that's helpful. We should speak to I, Chat GPT too. Um, yes. Yes. Um, and, and and I want to I want to get to the technology bit and how people can use the existing technology and also how they should not use yes. the existing technology. Yeah. Um but I do want to do a, a quick detour to talk about capitalism, of course. Uh, but I think just in general, like obsessed, uh, the worst part about like this, what feels like, you know, a pendulum switch kind of going back to this employer's market. And I don't know, maybe it's one of the worst parts about 2023 in general, or at least one of them, uh, you know, is this 
it's just an ever present reminder that corporations just don't give a shit about you. Uh, you know, I remember recruiting back in 2013 and millennials were really like the big thing to talk about at that point in time. I mean, what are we not? But like, also I remember hearing over and over and over again, like, ugh, millennials, they have no loyalty. That was the big thing to talk about in 2013 is how millennials have zero fidelity, uh, zero reason to be like, not reason to be, but zero loyalty to any companies ever. And companies just were like, I don't understand. And which is baffling to me how you could not understand because post 2008, especially why would millennials have any loyalty mm -hmm. to corporations? We graduated from college into a recession. The college you told us, the college education you told us we had to get, we had no choice if we wanted to have, you know, jobs that were not in a trade school. Uh, we had to have this college education. We had to pay for this college education. And then uh, we graduated into a recession. We're paid peanuts to do four people's jobs if we can find a job at all, because now we're competing for jobs as baristas uh, with other people. <laughs> <laughs> who have had senior executive leader positions before. And so what we saw was corporations are not loyal to us. You know, this isn't what it was like 60 years ago where you could stay at one job for 30 years because you trusted that they'd have your back and you'd have theirs. And I don't even know. I think that's romanticizing the 60 years ago piece. Yeah. But I know, you know, even 2013, like, there, this illusion, any illusion of companies having loyalty, like I see my dad is, uh, I would say super late Gen X, uh, near boomer. And even with him, like in the Midwest, like he still occasionally slips back into, oh no, my company will take care of me if X, Y, or Z happens. And I go, dad, no, they fucking won't. They don't give a shit about you. You're one of, of hundreds of thousands. They don't give a shit about you. And he knows that, but he also slips back into that. So I feel like there was an element of that. We saw post 2008 for those of us who were impacted in any way, like there's no reason to be loyal to companies anymore. And then we started to see as like, we moved into a candidate's market that like, yeah, fuck all of you guys. We write our own checks now. And now that I'm seeing with all of these layoffs, I feel like I'm seeing it. It almost feels like an us versus them mentality from companies. It almost feels like some of them genuinely want to punish the talent pool for having had the upper hand for the last however many years. Like I was just reading a story last night, uh, a LinkedIn post from uh, the CEO of a small boutique recruiting firm that uh, was bragging about the way that they do their interview process, which after a phone interview was a four day quote unquote working interview where they gave these candidates uh, two open roles and told their job candidates to source candidates for these open roles. And they kept saying like, oh, this is their opportunity to like, if they get candidates that are great, that fit the bill that we can submit, then we'll hire the these, these people who did this for day working interview and they'll get the commission off of it. They didn't say what would happen if they didn't, like if the candidates didn't fit the bill or miss the mark slightly. They also said these people needed a lot of training, blah, 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 whatever. And they kept justifying it by saying this is how they separate 
those who want to work, those who have heart and hustle, those who are committed to going above and beyond. And that right now in this marketplace where, quote unquote, nobody is hiring recruiters, this is the way that like things just are now. And she literally said, it's not a fair job market, but like sometimes life isn't fair. And this is just what happens. So like there are people out there now, companies out there that are going back to the fucking six week interview process, the the unpaid working interview, and they know they can and are exploiting it. And so like, I feel like they feel as though they're in control enough now to where if people need the jobs, they're just going to do whatever the corporations ask. And my concern is that we slip right back into letting corporations run the show because if people need the jobs, they're going to do it and it becomes status quo again. We so, definitely I don't know. That was a lot. <laughs> So it is illegal for a company to ask you to work on their work that for unpaid that unpaid work for them in order to get a job. So we need to leave. I can't remember who you you call about that. It's not the EEOC, is it? We need to leave the, the number after this in the show notes. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> I'm where you report that to. Um because that's gross. But it's a weird you know, it's it's a tough thing because um, uh, some of it has to do so much with the the people in the C-suite and you never think that affects you when you're way down into, you know, a level where, where it doesn't, but, but it always does. And we're Mm -hmm. sitting in this place where we're, we're coming from the, like, we need any job place. But also if you are lucky enough to be able to choose between a few, um, start digging into what your CEO has been saying and what people say about them and what their record is because all these folks are humans who have had other jobs in the past and have behaved in a certain way that probably will predict how they behave again in the future um but yeah I have a friend who would always say this is a business not a finishing school and I always I have internalized that in terms of it is a business like they the business is not there to take care of you and capitalism, capitalism, we, we live in this world, unfortunately, but um, I have learned over the years and I have not always behaved this way. Um, I have, you know, definitely done my time of like, oh, if I just work hard enough, they're going to like recognize that, be, mm-hmm. be loyal to me. If I love them, they'll love me back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. um, but ultimately you have to put yourself and your health and, and your wealth first. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, bottom line. It makes me really curious about, I I harp on return to office constantly, by the way, Rachel. Mm-hmm. So this is not now. But like, I am really curious about the collective power of the job seeker because mm-hmm. so many people are yeah. desperate for jobs, but how far will they go? And is RTO too far? And I think I've seen a lot of conversations where a lot of people are saying, yeah. And um, like, that's too far. I still need hybrid. I still need flexibility. And so now we're, we're, we're seeing corporations maybe toying around with going back to that or sticking mm-hmm. with that. Um, but that's my observation and totally anecdotal. I, I don't know what you've seen with regard to that. <laughs> um, RTO is 
RTO is controversial. Controversial. Um, I can't pronounce that Arista. word anymore. So now that I'm being recorded, um, but, but ultimately, I mean, thinking about it from a business perspective, they businesses a lot think about hiring, um, but retention is a really important metric. And if you have a really savvy business, retention of good talent, you know, attraction of great talent and then retention of them is actually your measure of success. Not did I hire the good talent and, you know, office working in office versus remote is a, it's another kind of payment. Like you think about kinds of payments, flexibility is a payment. Um, And if it's not a payment you make, then you will not attract people for whom flexibility is important flexibility is uh, really important to me by the way but um, yeah yeah oh yeah but not everyone my husband is in rto three days a week and he's like he likes it he's like oh it's good to see all my coworkers." (laughs) i'm like what (laughs) but you have to shower three days you would love to see me every day I know. We saw each other for three days in a row and we're so exhausted on that third day that we were like, oh my God. No. I was doing in office one day a week all summer and I was like, whoo, like, I need break well, And like, and like one day a week, it's almost like, cause I used to do when Kaylee and I met, I was doing client work for this client that, that forced everybody into the office five days a week, but he, mm-hmm. he wanted me to come in. I was like, hmm, pound sand. Uh, and so he made me, oh, three days a week. He wanted me to come in for that time. And I was like, uh, best I can do is one cowboy. And I, even that one day a week, I would come in and I'd be like, what is the point of this? It's only one day. And like, I, there's, there's no real point other than you see my face. I mean, granted, this guy was sketched in lots of other ways. So it could be other reasons for that. But uh, no, I, I mean, I think that like the flexibility piece is really interesting and it kind of married the two things I have found, you know, because I can never like turn off the like recruiting hat. So when people come and they ask me like, what should I do like negotiating for like a job package? I always say like, if they can't give you more salary, make a pay for it in other ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you can't get to where you want on your salary, you ask for more PTO. If you can't get to where you want on your salary, you ask for days working from home. Like there are other ways. (laughs) Equity. Yes. And I think it's, you know, the RTO thing, Alan, what you're saying there, it's it's so interesting because these CEOs are, you can tell based on the fact that like they tried to do it with data, they kept getting, like they couldn't get the data that they wanted to prove what they needed. And now they're just saying, well, I don't care. I want it. I want you guys all back and this is done. And like the guy, the fucking CEO of Amazon that just had like a temper tantrum on the world stage about like, no, we're far past the point of discussion on this. It's time. It's time for all of the children to grow up and come back to the office. And there was there was no other like reasoning given other than I'm tired of it and I decided this thing and I'm your dad, goddammit. And so you have to do what I say because I said it. And I yeah. feel like people are starting to see that, like the 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 you know, pulling the curtain back a little bit and seeing that there's just like a dude there with a fragile ego. But <laughs> there's a dude who doesn't take care of children. And As, mm, has yeah. the money to have flexibility. 
<laughs> and is able-bodied and yeah exactly exactly yeah, you know and can live close enough to the office to have a comfortable like there's privilege right right and is neurotypical and doesn't have to yes. uh you know worry about attention or noise or um, you know and and like i have to wonder because the way that they keep being able to push forward like this is by keeping us divided to your point out and mm -hmm. keeping us thinking that everybody else in the collective is thinking differently than you this is what cops do right cops behave this way like let's separate them and get them to like rat each other out right yeah. i was talking to um a friend of mine i'm i'm getting ready to serve on her company's uh, board of advisors and she is uh, a mom who owns a business and is trying to scale that business. And she's got two little ones at home and she and her husband are really great about in terms of like sharing the weight and everything. But we were at a, a, a party this weekend and she was like, you know, I really appreciate like how honest and transparent you are on LinkedIn about like your struggles and what you see and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the way that I see it is that this whole notion of having it all and leaning in and Melissa, what's her nuts. That was the CMO or CEO at Yahoo for a while. Um, you know, when she was talking about like, you really can't have it all. I'm a mom. Well, yeah, bitch. Cause you got, she got a nanny. A, <laughs> you got, she put in a daycare. She cleaned out the office next to her, relocated that person and put in a daycare for just her kid. If and only she'd done nanny. that for the whole office, we and that like, would have been progress. <laughs> so, so, so of course the people who are speaking loudly, who have the platform, who have the stage can talk about having it all because they're not where we are mm -hmm. and where we are. Like, as long as we understand that most of us are here and not there, we really do have this collective bargaining arrangement that might not be formalized, but is very real. It feels like, it feels like a unions and scabs thing constantly. Like, you don't know who's going to be a scab or who's going to sit on the picket line with you. And we need more people on the picket line to say like, no, I'm not doing spec work. I'm not doing a fucking four day working interview pound sand. Also you're a recruiting firm. You can't even fucking find your own candidates within, uh, without a four day working interview. How do I expect as a client you'll find mine, but like, no, I'm not going to do unpaid labor. No, I'm not going to do five days a week back in the office. And everybody else, we all need to hold strong on that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and I, I'm, I'm sure they're finding that, you, I, and actually I'm not sure, but I would imagine that they're finding less candidates applying to jobs. Oh, definitely. That are yeah, definitely. Like if you are, if you, any job that I have that's remote is like, it has a way higher just application, number of applications than a job that isn't. But in an employer's market, they, yeah. they're not going to care as much. I, it's not going to, it's not going to be an issue until it hurts them. Um, and right, for some yeah. people, it's not going to be an issue because there's always, you know, recruiting thing. There's a lid for every pot. So there's always going to be someone who goes into the office and then this market you know, if it's if your choice is between going into the office or being a barista um, when you've been making six figures in the past. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I wouldn't mind trying to be a barista except for having a boss, which I would not like. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. I mean, I probably, yeah, I probably you're freelance not... before anything, right? Like, yeah. Cause I mean, I, and I struggle with chronic illness as well. And so like, honestly, five days a week at eight or 9 a.m. for eight hour work days, I don't yeah. know how long I would yeah. make it. So like, there is mm-hmm. some, at some point, I cannot, you know. But, even in the freelancing world, you run into the same problem. And I saw this as a freelancer all the time. There is always somebody who is willing to do it for cheaper than you that does not understand that by undercutting everyone else's market prices, they are actually destroying all of us. Mm-hmm. When the market value is $100 an hour and you come in at 60, you hurt everybody in the pool. And so because now you're pulling us all down if you're willing to offer that same work. And so, you know, you've got to differentiate based on quality and whatnot. But like, I don't think that people understand sometimes that by by jumping into it or or deciding, yeah, 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 I'll go ahead and do this and not sticking with the collective bargaining, it really does. It hurts them in the future. It hurts them in their current position because you've already signaled to these people that you'll do whatever they want and like what boundaries exist for you. And it hurts everybody else. But I also understand that I can say that from a place of privilege where I'm not on the picket line. I can speak from a a place of relative security. And I mean, that's, I feel like always the, the balance is like, how can we ask people to come make this collective bargaining table with us without acknowledging and, and providing some kind of mutual aid and assistance there. Right. I think like when we have the privilege to do that, and I definitely think of myself as someone who does by, you know, where I've reached in my career and that I have a partner who gives me health insurance and has a steady job, which allows me to be a consultant. I think it is our job to open that daycare to everyone, (laughs) you know, or to, to use, to use the privilege we have um, to walk away from a job that is, is not going to treat you right into to, you know, give a consequence to folks who are not behaving mm-hmm. in the way that we yeah. want them to act or to treat people. Yeah. Well, I know that we are coming up on running out of time before Margo yells at me. Uh, she'll hear this and then she'll be like, why are, why is my name in your and fucking name? Yell that again. again. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, I do want to, you know, sort of close out by um, asking for, you know, we talked about, we want to talk about ChatGPT, like the technology pieces. Like, I guess, what are your big do's and don'ts that we can leave people with as they're searching for work as in like how can they leverage the climate the technology that exists right now how should they not and how to like differentiate themselves a little bit things like that think about everything as a human connection and as a long-term as a long-term relationship so you should be making those connections while you have your jobs not suddenly when you lose it Mm. is is a big thing um, sure. I've gotten jobs from folks I've helped, you know, two years ago, um, who, who are in a place where I might want to work. And we've had this ongoing relationship where we have had a, you know, free exchange of ideas and advice and, and that has paid out down the line. And that's not why necessarily yeah. you do it, but you have to think about that and then target yourself. So, um, 
don't throw the stones into the universe, but, um, you know, you can use chat GPT to help yourself get some ideas, but don't turn something in that sounds like a term paper written in the passive voice as your resume. Use it as a skeleton and then rewrite it. So uh, that's where I would go with number one with your <laughs> with AI before we go too far down the line. But I think it is add the human to what you're doing and connect with the humans. And that will have a much greater effect than than just, you know, staying buried in technology. I think that's that's honestly one of the things that I learned about recruiting, probably one of the biggest and, and most valuable and beneficial lessons that I have taken with me. Based on my, what, three years in recruiting, because we were constantly networking, because you never knew who was going to eventually be hiring or who would eventually mm-hmm. need a job, and you need both of those people when you're a recruiter, we would, I, I mean, I networked my ass off. I was out, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies five nights a week. Um, and the connections that I made during that time that were not meant to immediately close a deal, they were meant to build relationships, are the reason that our business has for eight years been a referral-based business. Mm -hmm. We are only now in our ninth year getting into a sales process because we haven't needed to. Everything that we've had as a business has been based on referrals that came from three years of networking. And I think people often don't realize the value of networking when you don't have to. They jump into networking once they're forced to, once they think outside the box. But when people are in their current jobs, they never really think about it. Networking is like, ugh, I got to do one more thing for fucking work. Like, why would I do that? Which I get, I understand because I don't really enjoy it all that much either. But like, you have to go out and, and make those connections with people. And so you can stay really in valuable. too, I think is another piece. Yeah. If someone slacks you on, slacks you, emails you and says, hey, I want to get into recruiting. Tell me about it. You can respond and you can sit down and have coffee with that person. Or if someone, I get tons of, my like email is a black hole and I'm, try my best to respond sometimes sometimes I don't but in general I think I hit at least like 80 percent um someone might say hey I'm an art director and I'm looking for a role I I probably don't have anything for an art director because I'm in tech but I'll just respond you know like and I might sometimes I happen to hear about the role that the person is looking for and just make the connection and it's not for I hope this person gets me a job now it's just to help because we have to help each other out but like you said, Danielle, that pays off. And my business is like yeah, 100% referral based right now too. And it's been yeah. going like gangbusters. And we'll knock on wood in hopes that that continues. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you're two-ish. Um, but, um, but yeah, and that is because of those relationships that I've built yeah. over, you know, 20 years in business. So. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the pod and talking through this. I know that this is stuff that's really, I mean, in ChatGPT or not, is really evergreen content for people who are seeking jobs. You know, get more targeted with them, understand what you're looking for, and get really clear on your values. Like you said, Alan, this is really another values-based discussion. And the more that you can listen to them, the more that you can afford to listen to them, uh, the better luck you'll have. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you to 
everyone at home for listening. Maybe you're not at home. Maybe you're on the road. Maybe you're on vacation and your vacation activity is listening to us on the Target Snarket podcast. That uh, That's probably the case for most of our listeners. Uh, so we would love for you to, if you like what you have heard or seen today, to like and subscribe on the YouTube and then also to follow us at Target Snarket on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find our material on Facebook under Broad Digital Consulting and our pages there. We are Target Snarket, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting, and we will see you again next Tuesday. Okay, bye! Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 